once again to the Perimeter Church podcast. To understand God's kingdom, we need ears that hear and eyes that see. Lead teacher Jeff Norris starts the series Kingdom Parables with this sermon entitled Blessed Eyes and Ears, which covers Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 3 and 10 to 17. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Today's scripture comes from Matthew 13, 1 through 3 and 10 through 17. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you, It has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their ears, eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For I truly say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Tom. Let's read aloud together our prayer of illumination. Almighty God and most merciful Father, we humbly submit ourselves and fall down before your majesty, asking you from the bottom of our hearts that this seed of your word now sown among us may take such deep root that neither the burning heat of persecution cause it to wither, nor the thorny cares of this life choke it, but that, as seed sown in good ground, it may bring forth thirty, sixty, or a hundredfold, as your heavenly wisdom has appointed. Amen and amen. Well, if you were with us um, back a couple of weeks ago for our Christmas Eve services, if you were in one of those uh, services, then you heard me... Um, introduced this theme, and I didn't, the Bible does, of seeing and beholding. And at Christmas Eve, really, the, the whole message of Christmas is an invitation to see and behold, to stare at, to gaze at, with eyes of faith, this Jesus, this King, who came as a humble, um, peasant even, little baby, born in a manger, in a stable, 
and to be amazed at the way in which he came, but then also at his kingdom. And so I want to continue that theme as we launch into a brief four-week series and, and walk through uh, some of the parables that are in Matthew chapter 13. But this week is introductory. This week is, before we look at any parable that's in that chapter, uh, we're just going to simply address the question that is going to run throughout the entire series. What is the nature of God's kingdom? And, sub-question for today, why parables? When Jesus is teaching about the nature of his kingdom, why does he teach in parables? And I'll go ahead and give you a fair warning. Some of the things that we mentioned today, that we dive into today, are going to be difficult in a sense because they're going to cause us to wrestle with uh, two truths that seem contradictory to us in our finite created realities that are not contradictory for God in his kingdom in the infinite eternal reality that he is and that his kingdom exists. And so it'll be a little difficult. It'll cause us to wrestle. And in, in a sense, I'm kind of saying, hey, look, let's buckle up. Let's be ready to think. You go, wow, we're going to open with this for a new year. We have new guests with us. This is what we're going to... And, and, and I would just simply say this. We, we don't want to ever shy away here at teaching the Bible and moving into some text that might be challenging for us. And next week will be the same way. There'll be some things that we consider that are a little bit hard to digest, but the more we digest them, the more we study them, the more we sit in them, it actually creates within us more awe and wonder at the mystery and the majesty of God's kingdom and King Jesus, the one who rules over and reigns over his kingdom. And so just a little bit of a uh, preface as to where we're going. We're going to pray. I'm going to pray again here and just say, God, would you give us the ability to uh, continue this theme of seeing and adding to it today, hearing your words. So let me pray that and then we'll jump in. Father, we do pray as we pray often here. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. To see your, your beauty and your majesty as the king that you are. And ears to hear the truth of your word. And Lord, give us soft hearts to receive your word. Not only receive it, but embrace it such that we are changed. And we pray that, yes, of course, you would do it for our good. But Lord, mostly we pray that you would do it for your glory. For your glory is the very crux of your kingdom. So would you do it for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the throwaway comments that we give to each other often, questions that we ask each other often, is when you, when you first have seen someone, just even for that day, maybe you saw them yesterday, what are you going to ask them? Hey, how you doing? Now, most of us don't really care what the answer is. Now, some of you are really, really dear people with soft, beautiful, glorious hearts, and you do care if the person is going to respond in a genuine way. But most of us, we just, we're just asking that because it's the way in the American English vernacular to just kind of say, hey, what's up? And people just without thinking reply with, fine, doing fine. Even if they're not doing fine, I'm doing fine, I'm doing okay. Occasionally, though, occasionally, you know who these people are. You're going to, as soon as I say this, you're going to see a face in your mind that will answer 
either genuinely, honestly, authentically, like, hey, I'm not doing well, which is awesome if they would be honest with you in that way. But I want to go the other direction. Sometimes you'll ask somebody, how are you doing? And they'll reply with, I'm blessed. And then you decide you don't like them. <laughs> it's like, no, I don't want to hear that. I don't feel blessed. You don't have to rub it in my face. You know, that kind of thing, right? Too, too blessed to be stressed. Okay, great, man. See you later. You know, you feel that. But it's not a bad answer if you're a Christian. It's not a bad answer if you're a Christian because this text actually gives us more language in that direction to where according to what we're about to study, we could answer. I'm not going to tell you. I don't think you should answer this way because it just, it'll weird people out. And they'll just not like you. But you could answer biblically for the Christian. You could say, how are you doing? You could say, I am blessed because I have blessed eyes and blessed ears. <laughs> and then watch them walk away. <laughs> but you could. That, that, that is a biblically true, good answer according to Matthew 10, uh, 13, verses 10 and 11. I am blessed. Why? Because I have blessed eyes and blessed ears. Now, don't answer that way, but do this. Think that way as a Christian. Think that way. Because if you are a follower of Christ, that's true. You have blessed eyes and blessed ears. The kingdom of God is mysterious according to God's word. And the only way that we begin to behold God's kingdom and behold the king, Jesus, with eyes of faith is we have to actually have eyes to see him and to see the kingdom, which sounds very mysterious, but it's true. Many of you who are Christians, you know that to be true, where you were in or around church perhaps many, many, many years, and you didn't see him or you didn't see it, and now you do. And it's through this mechanism of faith, but you, you can't really help someone who doesn't see it, see it. God has to open the eyes. God has to soften the heart. God has to, to lift the ears, so to speak. But you try to explain it, and, and people just go, what? But you see it now. It's, it's kind of like um, this picture that a couple of weeks ago was getting passed around on social media, kind of went viral. And uh, I saw it pop up one time, or some, I think somebody actually sent it to me. And it's this picture, you may have seen it, of uh, it's a cliffside, and the vantage point of the, of the photographer is that he's higher, she's higher on the cliff, and, and taking a picture of a lower area of the cliff down here, and there's some snow on it. And apparently, somewhere on that lower cliffside is a snow leopard, completely camouflaged. And I looked at it, and the caption said, can you find the snow leopard? And I looked at it, and I looked at it, and I looked at it, and I couldn't find the snow leopard. There's no, there can't be one in this picture. There's, uh, this, is a, this is a hoax. There's not one. This is just to get people. You, you've seen those, right, where it's like, hey, can you find And it's not there. And you just stare at it for a long time and just waste time, and it's not there. But it was there. I went online, and I found the picture where it circles for me where it is. And once it circled it for me, I was like, oh, oh, my God. Goodness, man, that thing would have devoured me if I had not seen this, you know. It's a somewhat, kind of an analogy for what we're talking about here. There's something real 
Very real, right there in front of us. Do we see it? Do we have eyes to see what's really there? Matthew 13 is another invitation. It's another invitation to see and behold. And that's what we talked about on Christmas Eve, but there's another addition that we see here. It's not just to see and behold the majesty of the king and his kingdom, but to hear and receive the truth of his kingdom. And so the the pivotal, critical question of this text, there's two of them. The first one, God gives us, or Christ gives us right here in verse 9. We didn't read it. But after he's told the parable of the sower, he finishes it with this in verse 9. He just simply says this. He who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, we're not going to study in this series, we're not going to study the the parable of the sower that you see there at the beginning of chapter 13. And we're not going to study a little bit later on the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. Here's why. We taught both of those back in June. A little quick two-week mini-series that Caleb and Ryan taught for us. And so if you want to dig into those particular parables, uh, go back in our archives. Easy to find on our app or on our website. You can hear their teaching on it. It's outstanding. And so for this series, we're going to hit other parts of Matthew chapter 13, other parables. But again, today introductory. Why parables? Why would he teach this way? Well, there are seven kingdom parables in this chapter. And and we can assume, probably pretty safely, that these weren't certainly not the only parables about his kingdom that he taught. For whatever reason, Matthew, led by the Holy Spirit, wanted to capture these seven as the ones who, uh, perhaps for Matthew, and again, led by the Holy Spirit, thought this is the most clear representation of Jesus' teachings on the kingdom. So let's ask the question just to start with, I think where we have to start is, what is a parable? If Jesus taught in parables so very often, what is it? I'll still hear from uh, Michael Green and his commentary and just give you a few thoughts. Parable is, um, it's the comparison of two subjects for the purpose of teaching and learning. So two subjects for the purpose of teaching and learning. It proceeds, a parable proceeds from the known to the unknown. It's it's typically uh, an everyday story that has a spiritual meaning that is a little bit unanticipated. Or a lot unanticipated. So Jesus, in his teaching of the parables, would often, if not always, start with something that was very uh, common to his listeners. For example, this parable of the sower, right at the beginning of the chapter, he's using agricultural realities that they're immediately going to go, oh, yeah, because it was was an agrarian society. And so they're going to go, oh, yes, of course. And then he brings in with it a bit of a twist and applies spiritual meaning to it that they didn't expect. And that spiritual meaning isn't abundantly clear. It provokes thought. If you're really wrestling with it, it causes you to sit with it, to try to figure out its meaning, to wade into it, and perhaps change your your viewpoint because of the truth that is coming out in the parable. It's It's a masterful way of teaching. Another thing about parables that's important to know For your own study, as you read parables in the Bible, as you read through the Gospels and encounter them, generally, not necessarily universally, there's there's a few exceptions, but very few, 
Most of the time in parables, there is one overarching salient point. Just one. In other words, parables are not meant to be allegorical. They're not, they're not allegories to where it's like every little part has a spiritual meaning. It's a story to convey, to convey one overarching point to walk away with. And so that's important to remember. Uh, it, it's masterful teaching because naturally it does what stories do. It holds our attention. Uh, it causes us, like I said a minute ago, to see ourselves in the story and ponder and consider to deal with the well-known and, and deal with that twist. What am I going to do with that? Is it true? Is this spiritual application true? And if it is, then it changes life as I know it. Jesus um, was the world's greatest master of telling short stories. We all know the power of a short story. We tell our kids short stories so that they can understand truths. Because if we just give them uh, truths in matter-of-fact, direct ways, this is true, this is true, this is true, they're going to tune out. But if we wrap it in a story, they'll be glued. And that's not true of kids. It's true of all of us. We are naturally drawn into the power of a story. Let me give you some quick context as we uh, open up here in chapter 13 of Matthew. What's happened up until this point? Well, Jesus has done a lot of teaching up until this point. The Sermon on the Mount is recorded for us there in chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew. He's also done uh, a lot of, of healing, a lot of miracles that have been recorded for us so far in these first 12 chapters. But what's also true is that the religious leaders... The Jewish leaders of his day have increasingly, as those things multiply, his teachings and his miracles, they have increasingly rejected him. And it's not just a subtle rejection. It's a very outward, um, significant, robust rejection in the sense that at one point it's even recorded for us that the more that they saw his miracles and heard his teaching, they equated it to him being the agent, one of the agents of Satan himself. So complete and utter rejection such that they would associate him with evil. So we see a turning point here at chapter 13, where up until this point, his teaching has been both in the countryside with a common person, so to speak, and it's been in the synagogue, in the places of the religious uh, leaders. But here in chapter 13, he goes out, never to return again into the synagogue, as if to say, okay, you've rejected me. I'm going to go to the people who are willing to listen, who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Interestingly, this is uh, just a side note that I just thought was fun. Uh, if you'll notice, the way the chapter begins, it says, that same day Jesus went out of the house. We don't know what house that was. And he sat beside the sea. Here's one little side note that's just important to remember. When the Bible says sea, when the New Testament writers say sea, they're just talking about large body of water. May or may not necessarily be salt water. Um, this is the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is a lake. It's fresh water. And so just so you kind of, for no other reason, just to have that context of this is a large uh, body of water that is a lake. He goes out beside it, and it says this, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat, and this is the part that I thought was interesting, and sat down. I did some reading on this. This is kind of where sometimes my brain goes. Like, why would he sit down in the boat? We sat down in the boat, and one of the things that I read was because in that day and time, in that region, it was customary, especially in front of large crowds, to sit down and the audience to stand. So we're going to do that now. Y'all sit. No, I'm joking. Um, 
I just thought that was interesting. I, uh, I sit sometimes not because I think that I didn't even know that. I do it mostly because my back hurts. But, um, but an interesting thing. But the point is, is what we get at the beginning of th- chapter 13 is that he's left out to go to the countryside where the throngs of people are still very interested in what he's saying. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes are coming along with them to judge him. So he tells the parable of the sower. Again, go back and listen to that teaching back in June. And then here's the second key issue, key question of the text. The first one was the first statement that's just so cr- critical. It's, the, it's setting up for the whole chapter is he who has ears, let him hear. But the key question of this text, really of the whole chapter, is this. Verse 10. Then the disciples came, and this, this would have been the 12 plus more, would have been those who follow him closely, not just the 12. They came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? They're confused. They're not understanding his teaching. Why do you do this, Jesus? Now, one of my favorite commentators is a guy named William Hendrickson. I always read his stuff in preparation for sermons. And he gave us a a quick answer that I'll give you quickly here, but then we'll look at Jesus' answer most importantly. But I thought he summed it up well, where Hendrickson said said this. He said, uh, Jesus taught in parables to do two things primarily. One, to reveal himself to the ones who had ears to hear and eyes to see. So revelation, to reveal. But he also, and this is the one that can feel uncomfortable to us. We wrestle with this. We don't know what to do with this. It's not just to reveal to those who do have ears to hear and eyes to see. But secondly, to conceal himself to those, even more, to those who don't have ears to hear and eyes to see. One of the things that you're going to feel as we read this here in just a moment, immediately you're going to feel the the tension that exists in this passage and throughout Scripture between the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. God is sovereign over all things, including our salvation. So it's a, there's a lot in that statement that has been argued through the centuries. But I don't know how you can read the Bible and come to any other conclusion. God is sovereign. If he's sovereign over all things, it includes our salvation. But that reality does not negate the simulta- simultaneous reality that he rightfully, appropriately, holds man and woman accountable for the decisions that we make, and we do have free will. Does his free will negate? Does our free will negate his sovereignty? No. Does his sovereignty negate our free will? No. How does that work? Pastors have to be willing at this point to say, I don't know. I don't know. But I'll tell you this. God is infinite, He's omniscient. He knows all things. He's eternal. We are created. We are finite. And we are not all-knowing. So we have to be willing to entertain. Not only have to, we must entertain the reality that an infinite, eternal, all-knowing God can have two realities that don't make sense to us, yet in his economy fit together perfectly. It's been said famously that if you understand everything about God as you worship him, then you're not worshiping God. You're worshiping your imagination of God. 
Because at a certain level, he's not understandable. His ways are not understandable. His ways, as Isaiah says, are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. And so the more we wade into the incomprehensible, we actually gain comprehension, not fully by any means, but bit by bit, such that it causes us to be even more in awe and wonder of his mysterious ways. Because watch what Jesus says. I mean, he uses some very specific words here that are important for us to take note of. Because when they ask him the question, why do you speak to them in parables? Look at his answer, verse 11. It says, to you it has been given to know the, here it is, secrets. It's another word that we can translate, it's a word that we can translate another way, mysteries. To know the secrets, it's been given to you to know the secrets of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. I told you, this is going to be hard. We've got to wrestle with this. Jesus is saying that, uh, go back to the picture of the snow leopard. None of us have the ability within ourselves to ever spot what's right in front of us as it pertains to the kingdom of God. We cannot see it. We're born with dead hearts, hardened towards God, We don't have eyes of faith to see him and behold him in all of his glory. And we don't have ears to hear his word in such a way that we would receive it. We we are incapable, completely incapable as the scriptures teach. And so it is only by God's grace that we begin to see. It's given. This is what Jesus is saying here. To you, those who believe, to you it has been given. What? What? It's been given the ability to know, saving knowledge, faith, to know the mysteries, the secrets of the kingdom of God, and to be okay with those mysteries such that you actually want to dive into them more, not run away from them. Because you've seen glimpses of the glory of Christ through eyes of faith, and you long for more. They're not reasons to disbelieve. They're actually reasons to believe more because God is so big. Now the part that we wrestle with, the part that we struggle with deeply and wrestle with deeply, understandably, is the second part where he says, okay, I can get that you've given me the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. And then he goes on, verse 12, it says, for the one who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And we go, wow, this is getting even more difficult. What's Jesus saying here? And at what point is this all the hardening of heart of God? Or are we hardening our own hearts? What's the answer? And the answer is yes. The Bible teaches very clearly, time and time again, that God hardens the heart, but we also harden our own hearts. And so then the question becomes, um, Do we harden our own hearts in unbelief and then God hardens our heart even more? Or does God harden the heart first and then as a result, obviously, our hearts are hardened? And the answer is yes. Biblically, yes, both. It's interesting, in this very same passage, Matthew, we're going to see it here in a minute. Matthew's going to approach it more from the standpoint of that we harden, humankind, different people will harden their hearts towards God, unbelief, and then God will therefore then harden their hearts all the more. But then Mark, and his account of this, tends to approach it 
completely opposite. That God is the one who hardens the heart, and then mankind hardens in response. These are difficult matters, but the point is, is this, it's all of grace. It's all of grace. So that when we begin to understand that we are completely incapable of ever perceiving or seeing anything about the king and his kingdom, but yet for the grace of God, then when our eyes are open, what do we do? We worship and rejoice all the more. The reality of the Christian should never, ever, ever be, meh. It should never be that when we consider that we see Jesus in all of his glory and all of his, and we, we're taking in more and more every day, and the reality of our eternity is that we will spend all of eternity mining the depths of the riches and the mysteries and the majesties of Jesus and his kingdom forever and ever and evermore. We cannot respond to that reality with, okay, uh, when, do we, when does he stop preaching and when do I get to go eat? No, we, we show up for worship because we go, grace, Grace that I see anything. None of us, this always begs the question, well, how can this be fair? And here's the answer to that question. We don't want God to be fair. Because if God were fair, not one person ever other than Jesus himself who walked the face of the earth would see anything of the king in his kingdom. We would all be under the condemnation and the wrath of our sin. The fact that in his sovereign choice, he has opened eyes for millennia to see billions of people is a measure of his grace that we can never, never, never fathom, ever. And so we show up and we go, grace, grace, God's grace. Yes. So that's one side of the coin. But the other side of the coin that is equally true that we can't understand is this, we choose in response to God to believe. And this is, even there you're going, how do we make sense of that? Didn't you just negate by saying that one thing we believe to choose, we choose to believe, you negated everything you just said about God's sovereignty? No. Because again, his ways are higher than our ways. Because what does he do here? What does he do? Watch what happens. He says, verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. They've hardened their own hearts. And then he quotes Isaiah. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says... You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. This heart, their hearts have grown dull. It literally means thick, thick hearts that can't be penetrated. And with their ears, they can barely hear. It literally means heavy. They've collapsed in upon themselves. And their eyes, they have closed, literally blind. But watch this. Watch this lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, watch, and turn. The responsibility of turning is actually upon us. God grants the grace, but we turn. And how do we make sense of that? It's all a work, sense of that. It's all a work of God, yet there's human will in this. 
And we turn, and look what he says. This is his heart, the heart of God on display. And I would heal them. Don't miss this about your, about your God. Don't miss this. Don't get caught up in the whole, like, well, does he choose us or do we choose him? Don't get caught up in that. Know this. His desire, his bleeding desire, literally on the cross, his bleeding desire, oh, that, that I would heal them if they would turn to me. That I would heal them. That I would, that I would soften and make thin, thick hearts. That I would lift up heavy ears, that I would open blind eyes. I would do it, I would do it, and I would do it a million times over if what? If they would turn to who? To Jesus, to turn to him. And he'll do it. He'll change you and he'll turn you inside out and he'll transform you from the inside out and he'll give you a heart that's like his, soft, malleable, eyes to see like the king. Ears to hear. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the, the teaching of the text. Verse 16 is the crescendo of the text. 15 is to what I just read, but this is where we started when I first started a few minutes ago. Look at verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. And then listen to this. This is profound. Truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and didn't see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Here, here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, you have blessed eyes, you have blessed ears. And for centuries upon centuries and generations upon generations in the past, prophets and people who believed the promise that there was one coming, they never saw what you have seen. They didn't get the great joy and the privilege of being on this side of the cross, on this side of the finished work of heaven, or the finished work of Jesus. They didn't know that his name was Jesus. They didn't know that he came to die. They didn't understand that all has been dealt with, that the penalty of sin has been placed upon him and I no longer have to fear. They didn't understand that through his resurrection that he conquered the, the penalty that we, or uh, the, uh, the condemnation that we fear the most, which is death, and that we through him now by faith, we also will conquer death. They didn't see and understand that it would be through this one who came that he would come again and that he would make all things new and that we don't have to worry about when will victory come or will it come at all. We just know that it's going to come and it's going to come on the heels of a returning king named Jesus. And, and we rejoice in this and they long to see it, but they didn't, but we do. We know it. The simple application of this text is this. Three questions. Do you, do you have open eyes to see the beautiful mysteries of the kingdom of God? Do you have ears to hear the majestic truths of, of the kingdom of God? And do you have a soft heart to embrace the magnificent realities of the kingdom of God? And here's the simple application of the text. If the answer is no, 
then turn. Remember I said, there's usually just one point. We didn't study a parable this morning, but in, vein of, in the vein of parables, I wanted to just have one point. If the answer is no, I don't have eyes to see, I don't have ears to hear, I don't have a heart to understand or comprehend, then here's the, here's the teaching of the text. Turn. Turn to Jesus. Let him heal you. Let him do what only he can do. He longs to do it. He longs to do it. You know, we always start a new year. We always start a new year with uh, resolutions, with goals, with aspirations. Um, I call them, uh, I got to get my act together list. And those are fine. Those are fine. But I I would be surprised, and not because of it in any judgmental way. I just think the nature of our hearts is that we don't think this way. I would be surprised if any of us started the list this year. And at the top of the list was this. At the top of the list was, ask God every day to open my eyes even more to see his majesty. Ask God every day to open my ears all the more to hear the truth of his kingdom and walk in it. Soften my heart all the more so that I may have a heart of Jesus engaging with the world the way that he engages with the world. I'm telling you this, it's the best New Year's resolution list you could ever come up with. Maybe for some of you, it's, I've never seen his majesty, so the prayer is not open my eyes all the more, it's open my eyes. Give me sight. Give me, give me hearing. Give me your heart, oh God. Another thing is this, um, we can't see incredibly difficult to see the majesty of Jesus in his kingdom if we're not studying his word. It's through his revealed uh, word to us in the Bible. It's through that that we actually develop better eyesight for the things of the kingdom. It's where we hear more clearly. It's where our hearts soften most readily. It's with God's people in this context, but it's every day in his word. And so devote yourself this year to studying God's word. Devote yourself to mining the depths and the riches of his truth. And pray every day, God, give me eyes to see and ears to hear. And if you don't know where to start, talk to us about it. We'd love to help you with that. Talk to people around you. Maybe there's somebody you know who has studied the Bible a lot more than you have. And just go to them and say, hey, would you help me understand this? And whoever, if you are the person that someone comes to and says, would you help me understand the Bible? Be willing to say at different parts that you don't know. That's okay. Don't feel like you have to come up with answers and make things up just so that you sound really, uh, you know, wise about the Bible. Study God's word. Devote yourself to God's word in it and through it. The Holy Spirit works and he gives us more sight to see, ears to hear, and a softened heart to receive. As I mentioned, next week we'll, uh, we'll actually begin to study some of the parables. One in particular that... 
um, will be for next week, and then we'll go from there. And our hope is that uh, as we study these parables, you'll continue to be challenged, but you'll continue and maybe, maybe for the first time begin to see the great glory of Christ. Father, would you help us with that? Would you give us uh, that grace to, um, to be enamored with you even as we think back to Christmas Eve, to see and behold and gaze at and ponder and sit in the re- reality of who you are for us? And Lord, even when we encounter doctrines in Scripture that are just really hard for us to understand, Lord, uh, we pray that those wouldn't sidetrack us, but they would actually cause us, by your grace and goodness, uh, to want to dive even deeper and understand you even more. So, Lord, um, we pray for this series. We pray that you bless it in every way and that you would draw people into yourself through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.